Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Supply Chain Podcast. Today we're joined by Neil Burton, the recently retired Global Procurement Practice Lead at EY, and now Principal at his own firm. We discuss the globalisation of the supply chain in terms of emerging technologies, managing risk, as well as optimization. Firstly, thank you so much for your time. Really is appreciated. I'm sure things are um, pretty crazy at the moment. Obviously, you've been working in um, the business and in supply chain for a long time. Would you mind just giving us a brief introduction to yourself and, and what you've been doing over your career? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So, um, uh, as you said, I have been working in this space for quite a few years. Um, I started my career uh, with BP in the procurement materials control space. Uh, and then I joined a consulting firm at a business school, uh, which was very much focused on uh, supply chain and, uh, and procurement, developed the strategic sourcing methodology uh, early on. So I had a chance to work across you know, multiple industries over, well, I guess, 30 years, starting off with doing a lot of strategic sourcing, um, but then moving into um, operating model design and uh, process re-engineering and uh, procurement systems deployment. Um, I took a break in consulting for a couple of years and co-founded a uh, strategic sourcing uh, technology firm called uh, Abbreviate back in the uh, in the dot-com okay. boom. I had a some exposure to kind of uh, startup and entrepreneurship along mm. the way. Um, and then just recently at EY, I was the leader of the global uh, procurement practice for about, uh, for about four years. Perfect. Fantastic. And what would you say just as a, a general observation would be the, the biggest change you've noticed in the procurement industry since you embarked on your, your career? I think it's definitely become, more appreciated. Um, it's become, I guess I'd have to say more professional. Uh, I think that there is a, you know, more of a treatment of procurement as a, as a discipline um, that you can, you know, study and, and, and develop in. Um, it's having a bigger impact in businesses than, than it used to with a recognition that, you know, for most organizations, you know, 50% or more of the dollars that come in go straight out the door to suppliers. And so the way that you manage procurement can have a, a huge effect on the, uh, on the bottom line and the, mm. the ability of the business to run. Um, it's become more global in, in the, you know, where we're finding suppliers and, and working with, with suppliers. It's become more um, sophisticated. Uh, I think it's become a, more of a career. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's fair to say when I started 40 years ago, they used to joke that procurement was the, or purchasing was the, uh, the function for the failed engineers. Um, I, I think that that's no, no longer the case. No, um, so it's been, it's been gratifying to see, to see that progress and that, and that you know, recognition and the, uh, the strengthening of, of the capabilities. Having said that, I think there's still, there's still a ways to go. I think there's still continued opportunities to, to improve and, uh, and uh, have a bigger impact on the business. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because I am um, a couple of podcasts ago. I had a, a lady called Sarah who runs a kind of shipping tech company, and she was lucky enough to almost grow up in the industry. Her dad owned a private, a private three PL company, and um, we were discussing that you just don't really hear about supply chain until you kind of fall into it. It's not really something that's presented to you 
an academic level when you're kind of growing up through high school or college, whatever it may be. So I'm hoping that will change moving forwards. Um, but it's definitely being recognised business-wide as a more kind of value-giving core function to how the business operates, which is fantastic. Um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned the globalisation already. At the moment, obviously, there's a bit of a debate going around about how you balance that, how you balance the proximity to the cost, to the risk um, with your global strategy, because you know, COVID-19, there were a lot of logistic issues and people who relied quite heavily on outsourcing couldn't actually get the product into the country. Um, what would you say is, you know, going to change moving forwards in terms of strategy? And do you feel that um, people will look to bring a portion of their supply chain to closer proximity to the business? I think people are, are kind of studying that and considering what the, the right answer is. And, uh, yeah, uh, as as you mentioned earlier on, you know, I, um, from my point of view, you know, there needs to be a focus on optimization, um, and the pendulum shouldn't swing too far in one direction or the other. Um, and I don't, I think, you know, there's some cases where it may make sense to bring supply closer to your you know point of need, um, but but I don't I don't think that's you know I don't think that's a universal need. Uh, and I think there are other solutions to uh, managing the risks within the supply chain. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I still have clients that frankly have not probably not moved far enough in terms of globalizing their business and looking for mm. sources uh, outside of, as I think about a couple of particular outside of the outside of the U S. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's looking at it kind of category by category um requirement by requirement and determining you know, what is the balance of the of the risk versus the availability of you know of, of capacity and skills capability um cost benefits and so on um and and finding the right mix mm. where you know where you, you truly need you know short lead times and assurance of supply and inventory is expensive then okay let's let's do it locally um, but I think there's still plenty of opportunities to benefit from capabilities around the world and, uh, and benefit from cost differences around the world to continue to source globally. Maybe you carry more inventory. Maybe you look at mm. alternative routes of supply. Um, I think it's got people more focused on, you know, what are the risks associated with it that need to be mm. managed. But I don't see a wholesale shift of the supply base. No, I think there has to be... Um... A happy medium doesn't there there has to be a contingency um worst case scenario but i don't think you could ever put that genie back into the bottle because you know you you have to consider the cost as well element and if you can source your product a lot cheaper then you have to incorporate that so yeah it's definitely interesting to see how different industries are um sort of coming back online at different paces and the the challenges that they're facing what, what do you think moving forward, aside from the kind of geographical implications that we've just discussed, what do you think are the key changes that this COVID-19 will kind of accelerate in procurement and in supply chain? So I think from a procurement point of view, I think we're going to see a more kind of structured thinking around the risk aspects. Mm. So as, you know, as category leads are developing strategies for their for their categories and understanding the supply base and the cost structures and so on, 
I, I think there's been a gap up until now in terms of a, uh, an explicit evaluation of the risks associated with each of those strategies mm-hmm. and, and including that in the decision-making. So I think we're going to see that added to the kind of the methodologies around strategic sourcing and, <clears throat> and clear, clear governance and, and decision-making um, around, around risks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to see an, uh, an ongoing kind of assessment of, of those risks as well. So I think that's been another gap is that, uh, you know, for the most part up until now when companies have selected a supplier and, and built their supply chain around it, they haven't done a good job of continually monitoring the risks associated mm. with that. Um, not just the tier one suppliers, but the sub-tier suppliers as well. Um, you know, you recall the, uh, the tsunami in Japan a few years ago, which disrupted the uh, automotive supply chain. There was some lessons from that that I don't think were fully learned, um, where we still ended up with dependencies on sub-tier suppliers that weren't, weren't appreciated. I think there's going to be a, a, uh, a stronger desire to understand the sub-tiers and, and understand the, um, you know, the kind of the risks and the resilience related to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would anticipate that within, within supply chains, you know, there's going to be um, somebody who is responsible for um, risk management, yeah. probably reporting directly to the chief supply chain officer so that they're thinking about that and getting ahead of it. And not, not just kind of the risks that we're talking about in terms of a supplier having you know, difficulty operating or a supply chain breaking, um, but also risks associated with data and, uh, and, and an ability to, to um, maintain and, 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 uh, and build accurate, complete data to support um, transactions going forward. So, so I think we're going to see some of those kinds of changes. Yeah, no, perfect. And you've kind of already touched on my next question anyway, Neil, which is all about the importance of technology and, you know, data plays a huge part in that to, you know, extrapolate and forecast what supply issues may arise and when and how this will impact your ability to deliver onto your client. Do you see any emerging technology coming into place um, from a kind of end-to-end supply chain perspective? And, you know, the term end-to-end has been thrown around a lot in the last few years. But what I mean by that is that there have been quite a few um, things in the media about specific elements to products, whether it be PPE gowns or um, the bottles for the hand sanitizer, a certain element of that was really far up the supply chain, was all manufactured in one place and there was a shortage and and the entire kind of industry around it really struggled to get hold of what they needed. Do you think there'll be some more technology or a greater need for adoption of technology around that? Um, I think my sense is actually the technology probably exists today. It just isn't really being deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think, I think adoption is, is really the kind of the critical piece here. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you look at some of the, and again, kind of more back on the risk focus, but if you look at what people like Dun & Bradstreet, Thomson Reuters, Dow Jones, you know, the, um, uh, Bloomberg, you know, the amount of data that is available, um, in order to be able to monitor your supply base and your supply chains. Um, is is really there? Um, what 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 has happened? I would say up until this year, is that um, companies have not prioritized 
investing time and energy and money in order to build that and to, to, to leverage the, the third party data and, and use it effectively. Um, so I think what we, what we will likely see um, going forward is for some of the more sophisticated companies, they're going to say, okay, we're actually going to take advantage of, of all the data that's out there and start yeah. put, putting this together, uh, as you say, in kind of more of a complete end to end picture. Uh, and, and have a, you know, a dashboard that would give them early warnings where there are issues that yeah. they need to start, start worrying about. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's funny you should say, actually, because yesterday I was speaking to a chief procurement officer in Canada, and, and he was explaining that when this scenario unfolded, he actually realised that they weren't utilising the system they already had as much as they could. So this is kind of made them take another look at that and really kind of use it and maximize it to its full potential so i think there's, there'll be a bit of that going on as well making sure you're making the most of your technology investments yes i think so i mean i i, I kind of joke about it a little bit but you know three or four years ago um we were quite strongly in the market discussing you know a, doing a better job of, of monitoring supplier risk and managing supplier risk and um i would say for the most part, the response of the CPOs was, I recognize that this is a gap, mm. but I hope it's not an issue on my watch. So I'm going to yeah. leave that to my successor. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, for many of them that worked out and for some of them, you know, it didn't work out. Now it's time right. to deal with it. No, I know it's, um, it's a trade-off, isn't it? It's trying to weigh the, the possibilities. And I don't think anyone really anticipated a pandemic of this nature i i've heard people say that you know there would, could be a virus that would severely impact business operations but the the duration of this crisis and and the true implications i, I don't think anyone really fully understood how that could happen right. and, and what it would do which is which is fair enough you know it's a learning curve um and hopefully we'll be better prepared moving forwards um but there are a few kind of really key things I think supply chain directors and procurement directors will need to consider moving forwards and and one is based around the um, well the safety of their workers first and foremost but how to kind of transition from the home working back into office based keeping people safe keeping people distanced um, and really kind of evolving into a new new normal like like people are saying um, what would your kind of key tips or key thoughts be on, on how to do that and how to effectively keep your supply chain workers safe, but also bring back those operations? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. I wouldn't pretend to, uh, I guess, be, you know, any kind of an expert on the, the whole kind of, uh, you know, epidemiology topic. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that it's, um, I think we're going to see that, you know, companies are going to look to find that balance. Yeah. I think that there's, um, you know, I think a recognition that actually working from home can work, mm. um, but that 100% working from home is not a good long-term answer. Um, I think, A, people want to have more interaction, and B, from a kind of training and development and, and bringing people along and developing their careers, they need that interaction, which you can't get, or it's much more yeah. difficult to get on, mm -hmm. online. So, so I think there's going to be a, um, a balance, and I think it's kind of finding that right, the right balance and then how to manage it in a way that's safe. So I have, um, you know, for example, I have, you know, one client 
it's a movie studio. Um, they don't want to bring their um, procurement people back on to this onto the lot uh, until uh, you know the, really there's, there's a, almost like there's a vaccine because they don't want to have the what they would consider the back office people causing any kind of a issue with the virus that would stop the production of TVs and you know TV shows and movies because that's how they make their money right yeah so um, so you know so they're going to be extremely cautious in terms of you know, bringing anybody back into uh, into the office um and, and that probably you know from a procurement point of view probably applies fairly broadly um you don't want to disrupt you know your manufacturing line because yeah. somebody from procurement brought you know the virus back into the uh, yeah. into the location um obviously you know for the balance of supply chain you know uh, production operations warehouse operations, you know, logistics and so on. You actually, you physically need people there. Um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously safety is paramount. I think it's a little unfair to say, I, I heard on the radio yesterday that employers are more worried about employee safety than they've ever been. I, I think that's a little unfair. I mean, I think certainly, you know, some, some of my clients, oil and gas in particular, safety has always been mm. absolutely paramount. So I, I, I prefer to think of it as, it's a new safety issue yeah. to be to be dealt with, as opposed to now people care about safety. I, I think that's that's uh, probably mischaracterizing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think you have to kind of you know so minimize you know um, non-essential work on the on the on the site mm -hmm. so that you're not jeopardizing operations, uh, and then following you know regulations and guidance around masks and social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, to, to yep. minimize the, minimize the risk. Mm. And for procurement heads moving forwards, there may be a couple of new additions to what they're looking to source. I mean, well, two aspects of it really. First is the having some sort of inventory of, of PPE. Um, but secondly, you know, the cybersecurity implications of working remotely. And I hadn't considered this until someone kind of, mentioned it the other day um who worked for um a telecommunications company that a lot of businesses they've gone from maybe 500 people working in office on one sort of server very very secure to all working remotely through their home broadband you know what what sort of contingencies do you put into place to try and protect that protect that data that you're sharing and, you know, that's more a question for the technology heads out there, but something as well for the procurement guys to be working on alongside them and making sure they're sourcing that, that service. Yes, I, I think it probably depends on the kind of the sophistication of the organization. I mean, I think a lot of folks are on VPNs and so on. So, mm. you know, there's, there's, there's less of a concern. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yes, I think, I, think that's, I think that's fair. I think particularly smaller businesses that... Uh, mm. Um, maybe are not as sophisticated from a uh, cybersecurity point of view. Um, it's yeah, it's it's got to be a real risk. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, in terms of companies downscaling their real estate presence, there's there's just so many different things that will unfold um, as we kind of move further into this returning to normal. Um, I'm sure in your in your role, Neil, you've got you know, a, a quite a broad overview of how different industries 
have faced different challenges and how they're dealing with them. Would you be able to perhaps share some insights on, you know, the, the unique challenges that some industries have faced versus others? Specific to, I have to think about this one a little bit, specific to the virus yeah, or just in general? Um, specific to the virus, to specific to COVID, um, the procurement challenges they faced, any of your clients, if you've got them kind of different industries, what would you say, any, any, any insights? If not, no problem, but if you have any, that'd be great to hear. Yeah, I'm, just trying to, I'm trying to think a little bit. So I think, and we've seen this, you know, before in other, you know, crises of various shapes and sizes, right? Mm -hmm. Part of it is, is the ability of the organization to, to react quickly. Yeah. Um, so um, I have a couple of clients in the food processing business. Um, obviously that's been a, a big issue because, you know, people work so closely together in those uh, processing lines mm -hmm. um, and we've had a lot of kind of hotspots as a result of that. So, so it's not just the personal protective equipment, but it's creating the, uh, trying to create some kind of uh, physical barrier between mm -hmm. the workstations. Um, and now I think in, you know, stores we're seeing first specs yeah. I think in the, in the, these facilities, they're using stainless steel. Mm. Um, there's only so much capacity to fabricate stainless steel. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of the, you know, who recognized early that that was going to be a requirement and got into the market and identified the, you know, typically small machine shops, job shops that could help them, you know, satisfy their need. And in some cases, I mean, these plants are employing thousands of people. Mm. You know, it's, it's, they, they needed a lot quickly um, mm -hmm. and that capacity rapidly disappeared. So, so the agility to you know, interpret the problem and get after it and find the supply base um, yeah. really helped you know, the, early, the early movers you know, clearly mm -hmm. had an advantage there. I mentioned the, the, the studio and how they're kind of looking at it in terms of yeah. you know, the way that they think about their back office uh, folks. Um, that almost, you know, I would, I would question what the sort of manufacturing guys' thoughts are on that for those as well, in, in two ways. One, you know, their admin staff, do they need to be on site, like you said? But the second way, um, are they going to invest more heavily in technology so it's more automated and not necessarily get rid of that human capital, but put it to work doing something else, adding value back into the business? Do you feel that there'll be a more of a rush to get that automation. Obviously we always look to Amazon and, and people like that that are really kind of advanced in that. And um, do you think we'll see more of a rush to get to that level? I don't, um, I think people will continue down that journey. I think, you know, organizations are already moving and the, na the nature of the problem is it's, when you say rush, it's hard to rush. Yeah. Right? It's not <laughs> like if I'm, uh, I can't think of a good analogy, but if I put, you know, double the number of people on it, I get it done in half the time. There's enough complexity um, and kind of idiosyncrasies in every implementation and deployment that it just takes time. Mm. So might they move it up their kind of list of, of priorities? Um, yes, but I don't think we'll see everybody having, you know, automated this in 12 months time. It's just, no. it's too big, too complicated. And I think everybody was already on a journey. Um, it, it, it might reprioritize how they, how they think about it.
Mm, perfect. I mean, we've, we've kind of covered all bases, really. I mean, in terms of your supply side optimization that you wanted to focus on, is there anything else that you'd like to share about what companies maybe should be looking to do to achieve that? Well, I think, um, as I mentioned earlier on, it, you know, it is about that balance and, yeah. and not thinking about it as a, um, just as a cost management function. But you know, thinking about it, how do you how do you support the strategy of the business? And the way that we we looked at it um, at EY uh, is, you know, typically there's 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 one of four or a, or a, or a blend of four strategies that a that a business is pursuing, um, and it may be around agility, uh, it may be around cost leadership, it may be around innovation, um, maybe around supply certainty. Those are the four that we identified. Um, but understanding, as you sit in procurement, understanding, you know, how is the business driving competitive advantage? Which, which blend of that for? Is it primarily an innovator? You know, are we, are we leading on cost? Um, and understanding what the business strategy is, because that then needs to cascade into the procurement strategy. Um, and thinking about, you know, your, your category strategies from that point of view. So if it's, if it's all about innovation, the suppliers that you select are probably going to be different than if it's all about cost. Yeah. Um, and back to your kind of, you know, local versus global. If I'm really about innovation, I probably need my suppliers close to my own research and development capabilities. So I'm, I'm bringing that knowledge and that expertise in. If it's all about cost, I'm probably looking for low cost locations around the world, you know, where I can get, get, uh, um, you know, lower unit prices and, and, and lower total cost. So kind of understanding that, that um, you know, that approach to my categories and then managing my supply base based on what I want them to do. So the way that I manage my supplier, again, for innovation, you know, where I want, you know, high level of, of contact, uh, I want engagement with their research organization, I want them to be participating in our product development. Uh, I want a really close relationship. I'm going to manage that differently than if it's all about cost and I'm worried about you know, landed cost and, and accuracy and, and so on. Um, so, so having that strategy and then cascading it down the way I manage my suppliers. Mm. Um, and then to your point, automating the transactions so that I'm not, um, I'm not taking up valuable kind of manpower and uh and and capacity thought capacity mm. executing transactions i can now focus on engaging with those suppliers and seeing how we can actually improve and drive incremental value um i i had a a client a few years ago they changed their business strategy from they, they were competing on cost. They decided that was not successful. They moved to competing on innovation and new product introductions. Mm -hmm. They didn't cascade through and say, well, this means we need different suppliers. Okay. So, um, so then they're trying to manage a supplier they picked on cost to become a supplier that's going to help them innovate. And it's not necessarily the same supplier. It's a different set of skills. It's a different business yeah. model that the suppliers could be following. Um, and then, you know, within, within that context, then thinking about how do I organize? But what's the, what's the right work in the right place? Um, you know, uh, what do I need to have 
close to my engineering team? What do I need to have close to my marketing team? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can I core up into a, if you like, a center of excellence, um, which is going to serve all of my category leads uh, globally, you know, mm-hmm. around maybe contract management or e-sourcing support or market intelligence? Um, and then what, what transactional support you know, do I need and how do I position that in, in the way that it's most efficient? Um, and again, it might depend based on the, on the strategy that I'm pursuing. But, but the whole intention of the supply side optimization is to kind of think about it within the context of what are we trying to accomplish to support our business and then organize and develop category strategies and execute those strategies in a way that is supporting the business. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And with those kind of innovation partners, you'd almost look for it to be more of an alliance where you, you give and you take and you share technology and, and try to kind of brainstorm together rather than just being about cost and, and bottom line. So definitely, I mean, it's, it's um, been brilliant to have you on, Neil. Um, thanks so much for the input in, in terms of um, not just historically within procurement, but what you think is going to change moving forward. It is appreciated. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thanks again. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Stay cool. Cheers. Bye-bye. 